on the flight deck. Crews are now manning for the next launch. It's time to clear the flight deck and catwalks. Stand well clear of all jet blasts, prop arcs, and exhausts. Time to start up the GO aircraft. Let's start them up. Hi, welcome to the F-14 TomCast bonus episode. We've got a handful of topics that uh, have come to mind from uh, our previous episodes and things that people have asked us about. So I'm going to kick it off by telling you about where I got my call sign bio. My name is Dave Baronic. I was an F-14 Rio, radar intercept officer. And when I came through the, uh, when I completed the RAG in 1981, uh, the way it operated back then was they told us, hey, when you get to the fleet, they're going to ask you what you want your call sign to be. So my RAG classmates and I, that's right, they said they're going to ask you or if you have a call sign. So I, I did a little bit of thinking and I thought my last name, Baronic, rhymes with bionic. And back in 1981, you know, the $6 million man was, was everybody knew what that was. So I thought I'd be clever and I go, I want to be called bionic. So I talked to this guy, a Rio instructor named Superman Jones. That's a great call sign. Yeah. And he said, he goes, yeah, I think you ought to go with that bionic thing. So <laughs> I showed up at my uh, squadron. I was an ensign. I was six foot two and I weighed 165 pounds. So I was really skinny. And the few times I tried saying it on the radio, bionic did not sound good. So the pilot I was flying with, he goes, I can't call you bionic. <laughs> he shortened it to bio and that stuck. So I go, all right, good. Bio. I mean, you know, crunch, as you know, you can fight your call sign, but that only makes it worse. But anyway, bio, I go, okay, that's kind of neutral and it's stuck. So let me tell you one more thing about this. A couple of years later on my second deployment, I had a, uh, a flight suit that has hand embroidered bio. And being hand embroidered, it wasn't uh, really precise and accurate, but, you know, it kind of looked like B-I-O. So one day I was the tower flower up in the uh, primary and our squadron, one of our airplanes had a problem. And so the air boss looks around and he goes uh, and he saw my uh, my patch on my flight, <laughs> on my flight suit. And he goes, uh, hey, renegade rep. Yeah, you, B-10. <laughs> I go, my God. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Who's B-10? <laughs> I, don't think, I, I don't think I even corrected him. I just said, you know, yes, sir. Anyway, so I went down to the ready room, and and my pilot at the time, Petro, he, he thinks, he says he did it. I thought I did, told on myself. But I go, you know what? Everybody's going to think this is funny. And I'm telling on myself. So I told either Petro told it or I told it. And so uh, about half the time after that, I got called B10. <laughs> <laughs> but the official call sign was bio. Crunch, oh. over to you. Well, thanks, B10. So that's a that's a good one. <laughs> I, one you told me that one recently, but uh, you know, for all these years that I've known you, I had not known that story, you know. But uh all right. So for me, I've gone, you know, as most people, I've gone through quite a few call signs, but, um, you know, it, it, there was a little bit, a uh, little bit more color for mine. So what is, 
you know, crunch. Crunch is Navy slang for fender bender. And, you know, so you can be out there and if you, you know, you know what they say in NASCAR, rubbing's racing. Well, you know, you get a little, uh, uh, well, I actually know a rub as well. He, he, he did a similar event as mine, but, uh, but in any case, so how does, how does this go? So crunch is not a unique call sign. There's more than one of us out there. Uh, but the way it worked was this. So it was out there as my, uh, I'd been in, been in the rag at VF 101 at Oceana for a couple of months and, um, you know, been doing simulators and all that. And it was time for me to go flying. And the first two flights in the F-14, as, as everybody should know, probably there's no two controlled F-14s. Everything is, there's a pilot in the front, a Rio in the back. There are no F-14s that are set up as trainers. Uh, the first time you take off in an F-14, uh, as a pilot, you are the pilot. You have nobody there to save you if you can't land, right? So what we would do is uh, you would, as you're getting ready to get that safer flight to get to go on your first flight, you would get uh, paired with a pilot instructor who would go through several of the simulators with you. And he'd give you your check to make sure that you're good. And then you go out to the airplane and you'd get in the front seat. And actually the, uh, the pilot would get in the back. So instead of a Rio, you had a pilot instructor sitting in the back. And what was the point of that? He's basically going to be there in, to tell you pilot stuff. You know, he's, he's looking over, he's kind of looking like this and saying, you know, where's those aches break circuit breakers. Oh, they're down on the right side, you know, LE one and LE two down in there on the right. Um, so he would be able to help point, point things out and basically just get you off the ground and safely back on the uh, back. Well, so the first two flights are that way. And, uh, day one, I go out and I fly, come back, land all as well. And uh, day two, same pilot instructor with me in the back seat, and uh, we're we're getting ready to to we we brief, go out to the airplane, and uh, uh, we're we're getting ready. We man up the airplane. We're getting ready to go. Well, at at Naval Air Station Oceana, um, when we park the airplanes, you know, at any any other place that you go, the airplanes are all lined up nicely aligned, where you know the the noses are pointed perpendicular to the line that they're parked on, right? So it's kind of like parking at a parking lot with your car. Well, with the F-14, they're angled spots. It's kind of like when you go into a tighter parking lot and you just kind of nose your car in at an angle. That's how the F-14s were done. And bio or B-10, as you've been known as, you know, how? <laughs> why is that? Well, because if you're parked in that spot, you can mush the Tomcats closer together. And if they're angled, you can put the wings out both for maintenance reasons and for pre-flight checks, sitting in that spot and not hit the airplane next to you, right? So what happened is the uh, it, we're, we're in there parked at an angle and the airplane to my left is basically in front of me to my left, if you will, at an angle. And their wings are out because they're doing maintenance on it. And there's a couple of maintainers, airframers up there and they're, they got their feet in the air and they're digging down there in the wing box or something. And uh, so they're working on it. And I, I'm manning up my airplane and I'm getting ready to go. And I got me in the front and my pilot instructor in the back. And, uh, you know, he's down there running bits or something, right? <laughs> so maybe, maybe, maybe I could have said, we're moving. I don't know. Maybe I didn't do that. Maybe I did not communicate as well. I'm not really sure. But nonetheless, the way to get out of the spot is now you have to make a jog to the right, go forward, then jog back to the left to kick your tail around so that you can then continue forward and not hit that airplane to the left with the wings spread out. Because as you know, how bio, do you remember how wide the airplane, the F-14 is when the wings are out at 20 degrees? 64 feet. 
64 feet, exactly. And how wide are they when they're in oversweep? I think 38. 33. So 33 <laughs> feet. Yes. If memory serves, yeah. you've got the natops. I do Stay not, but I believe top. it was 33 feet. But the point of that is this, is that I'm looking back over my shoulder at those wings in overspeed, and I naively do not understand that I can't actually see the wingtip. You know, I can see airplane, but I don't quite realize how far it goes because it kind of goes down a little bit and it's right, underneath right. that hump. Well, I kick around a little bit and I'm following the plane captain, almost like she's a yellow shirt on the flight deck, but she's not really. And so, you know, basically two idiots working together out there between the flight deck director and me. <laughs> and then and then the pilot's in the back with his heads down doing something else. And I turn a little bit too soon. And what do you know? My, uh, my left wing, the slat on the leading edge, kind of rests up against the wingtip on that airplane next to me. Oh, coincidentally, oh. the airplane that I flew yesterday, right? Oh. So that's the airplane <laughs> I flew on FAM 1. I'm now on FAM 2. There, I'm like, oh, no. And the guys that are up working up on the airplane, they felt it. They're like, oh, my God, oh, what's yeah. going on? They go running out to the end of the wing to look at it. Everybody comes running over. The whole flight line now converges on the airplane to go, what is going on? <laughs> so they're all looking at it, and everybody looks at it, and the, and the the, the chief comes, he looks at it, they get airframes out, they take a look at it, and he looks up at me. And the folks that are listening just on the podcast aren't going to enjoy this nearly as much as the folks on YouTube. But here's what he does to me. He looks up at me and he goes like this. Meaning, you're good to go and gives me the go fly signal, right? Awesome. And, and I'm like, huh. We just kind of ran into the airplane next to us and they're just saying go. And uh, I'm like, hey, uh, guy in the back, what uh, what do you think of that? And he goes, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> and we're like, ooh. And he goes, hold on a second. I've got to ask base. Hey, base, this is us. This is what just happened. What do you think? And the STO goes, I don't know. What do you think? And then the voice of God comes over the radio from, ma from maintenance. The maintenance master chief, take the jet. It's good. So we're like, oh, all right. The maintenance master wow. chief says it's good. I'm like, all right. So, you know, we, we just taxi I'm out. And That's good. And we go, we go fly. We're like doing mock runs and doing all sorts of stuff that's on the FAM2 card. We come back and land. We get out of the airplane. And we're walking back to the hangar. And he looks at me and he says, uh, hey, uh, so Craig, we're walking in here today. He goes, uh, you're going to have to write up a gripe in the, in the book for him. I want you to think long and hard about how you describe this event because you're going to get a call sign out of it. And I go, nah, that's not going to happen. Whatever. And sure enough, crunch it is. There it is. That's how I got crunch. <laughs> that is a great story. Yeah. Well, the funny one is the one that I didn't get. So um, uh, one, <laughs> let's fast forward to Army-Navy game of 1999, I think it was. So December... Let's call it 9th, 1999, somewhere around there. I'm over at a friend's house. So uh, I'm over at Bill and Deb's house and, and, uh, and I may have, I may have had a couple of cocktails while watching the game. I just may have decided that it was appropriate to sleep on their couch because I'm responsible that way. And, uh, so I, uh, I may have had this sudden urge to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And, uh, so I go into the bathroom to do care of my business. And next thing you know, I wake up on the floor of the bathroom. I'm like, oh my <laughs> Lord, what the hell happened, right? Well, I stand up and I look in the mirror and I'm just like this. 
Cause I look over at this ear and half of bottom half of my ear is just hanging down and it's like dangling. Oh. And I'm like, Oh my God, what in the hell did I just do? Well, so then I end up going, walking out of the bathroom. I fall into another table cause I'm like all disoriented or something like that. We call an ambulance, something like that. Jeff, the ambulance driver guys, they come over they're like banging me into the wall and stuff. I t- get into the, uh, I get into the hospital and it just happens to be a plastic surgeon on call at, uh, at the ER down at Centera Norfolk and, uh, uh, Virginia beach, whichever in a case. So I go in and he looks at me and he goes, yeah, fortunately I'm a plastic surgeon. We can fix that. And he says, you know, um, were you drinking? I said, no, only, only just a little bit. It's not because I, I just a little, little tripped, something like that. Well, it turns out what, in retrospect, what I think happened, I think I just fell and hit something in the bathroom and sure. no kidding. I took, I took a big old scar. So they, they had to fix that thing up. And the funny thing is, so, uh, I don't know if you, you know, if you're one of those people who puts a, a pencil behind your ear, well, because they had to go in there and shave off like the, the nasty gristle stuff in the middle of the ear and then sew it back up. It looks amazing. You can't even tell, right. but it kind of made this, the ear a little bit smaller. So it sticks out further. So for the longest time, the pencils will fall out of my ear like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd actually have to keep a pencil on that side because even though I'm a righty, because this side <laughs> would just fall out. <laughs> so now you would think that with a story like that, I might have some clever call sign. Right. I don't know, like Van Gogh or something like that, <laughs> but it just didn't take. I stuck, I ended up with crunch the whole time. Oh man. Van Could have been a play on my name. There was also, you know, at one point there were a couple of guys who were calling me Duke. That sounded cool, right? You know, yeah, no baseball kidding. player, Duke, Duke Snyder. Snyder, you know, but no, no okay. crunch. Why you run into one airplane. Done. <laughs> And I can tell it bothers you all these years later. So yeah. thank you for <laughs> I did okay. I'm all right. Okay, okay but your story uh, about walking in after your flight in the rag reminds me of uh, something I did late in my late in my first squadron tour. What's up? Uh, so I, I was a, a lieutenant by now. I'd been in the squadron about three years. My former CO comes back for a uh, orientation flight. He was assigned to the wing as the OPSO, and he comes back. This is over at Miramar. And he goes, uh, bio, he goes, you're my Rio. He goes, how about flying with me today? I go, yeah, sure. You know, Skipper, even though I was the SDO. So the squadron duty officer, which, which everybody so flying on duty. Awesome. What a great well, day. So, uh, so I got somebody to sit in for the duty, went, changed into my bag. We briefed a low level flight and it's like, so it's low pressure. This was back in 1983, 80, 83, 84. Nobody, you know, Tomcats did low levels for fun. We go out, we do this low level, we come back and uh, we, he goes, man, that was fun. I missed this. Cause you know, he's not, he's a staff weenie now. He's not a squadron uh, commander. So we jump out of the jet. I go, I got to get back to the duty desk. So I, you know, run back up, change back into my khakis, get on the duty desk. About 15 minutes later, <laughs> there's a call on the uh, squawk box for maintenance and it's the current CO. And he goes, uh, hey, Bio, who was the last person to fly 203? And I look at the schedule and I go, I mean, and this shows you how much attention I was paying. I go, uh, oh, that was me, Skipper. (laughs) I didn't even recognize it. He goes, uh, did you know you hit a bird? Oh, no. Uh, No, sir. (laughs) Why don't you come down to to maintenance and and walk out to the jet with me? (laughs) Yeah. So we walked out to the jet and 
And when he was doing his pre-flight, I mean, you couldn't miss it. If you looked at the jet, you couldn't miss it. We just hadn't. There's this streak on the nose. It went right into the gun, the gun barrel. Oh, wow. And then at the gun gas purge door, there were feathers and bones coming out of the gun. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a little bird, but it went right down the barrel of the gun. Holy cow. And he goes, Bio, did you do a post-flight? I go, I don't think we did, Skipper. He goes, yeah. He goes, don't do that again. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You could have lied and said yes. (laughs) And been like, what? Well, how did what that happen? <laughs> well, look at that. That must have happened after we landed. There's yeah. no way I would have missed that. Yeah, that's right. That was a fast bird. Oh, wow. That's good. Okay. So let's move on to other topics. How You want to talk about fuel ladder? Yeah, let's talk about fuel ladder. What's a... Yeah, I just drew fuel, up... We mentioned that once before. I think that was in uh, episode two, if I episode remember. Episode two with Streak and Lure. And one of them was saying that it was it was kind of they didn't worry about it too much. But I got to tell you, by the time I uh, got into F-14s, we did a fuel ladder on every flight off the boat. We didn't do it off uh, ashore because we just mm-hmm. monitor our fuel. We had bingo fuel. Always get back. So a fuel ladder was uh, was a way to manage or to manage your fuel. And I just drew up a quick one and crunch. If if you want to edit any of this. Let me know. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll just show it and see, and see what I get. Okay, so this is a fuel ladder I just made up. The next launch would be a 1600 launch. So that means our recovery time would be roughly 15 minutes later, 1615. And then our max trap, which is based on the weight of our airplane and the max recovery weight, which was uh, 51,800 at first, and then it was up graded to 54,000 pounds. So our max trap fuel was 4.8 and we called this max trap. Mm -hmm. And then at max conserve, you burn 1,100 pounds an hour, right? Is that what you used? And this Uh, is for F-14A. 2,300 pounds or I thought it was 2,300 pounds an hour. Oh, okay. 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 Okay, I'm sorry. It's 4,400 pounds per hour. 1,100 pounds for every 15 minutes. And this yep. was back in the F-14. Thank you. Very good. Yeah. 1,100 yep. pounds every 15 minutes, 40 and 400 pounds an hour. So you set your max trap fuel. And then 15 minutes before that, you add 1,100 pounds, 1,100 pounds, 1,100 pounds. And the way this works is during your mission, you're checking your fuel. And if you get to, for example, 1,500 and you're airborne at 1,500, which you will be, if you have more than 10,300 pounds, that's spare gas. So if you had, you know, at 1,500, if you had 12,000 pounds, you got almost 2,000 pounds to play with. Mm -hmm. On the other Mm -hmm. hand, if you have 10,300 pounds, you either need to get tanking, which is unlikely, at least in certain situations, or you need to go to max max, uh, conserve, and fly around at 225 knots. And these are all uh, approximate numbers, but that's where the pilot would pull the throttles back. And what, what'd you do? Get the nozzles to crack or something? But yeah. In the, uh, so in the, so this uh, is in the A. In the A, you had to, uh, the nozzles would always stay closed, right? It was in the B that they would open up. 
but I would, I, my memory was 2,300 pounds aside, but then again, it was based on configuration. So yeah, yeah. if you had, it, we were always flying with two tanks. We were always flying with at least two rails. And if you had a combat load, it's going to take you a lot more thrusties out the back to maintain that max endurance airspeed. This is with the uh, tanks and rails, but uh, just yeah. a couple of missiles on. So this was, this yeah. was mostly what I remember from the 1980s, you know, when I, yeah. But, but that's what a fuel ladder is. And, and we've talked to other people, um, especially some of the guys that flew in uh, Iraqi Freedom and other missions, and they said there was Air Force tanking all the time. I mean, the guys that flew in Desert Storm, and we're going to have a Desert Storm story, they talk about tankers everywhere. But uh, most of my flying was in peacetime and then Southern Watch, and tanking was uh, not that, you know, they weren't just giving away gas. Well, the thing is, though, even if they were, you know, you'd be in country, you know, there might be gas available, but there might be a line, right? And you got a recovery. You got to you got to do that time distance. How how fast, how long do I have to get there? So how fast am I going? What kind of gas burn do I have? Do I have enough to get there? And once I get there, you've got to pick figure out what's my overhead time? How early am I going to be there? If it's if the weather's coming in, add another 15 minutes. I used to always have, have 1.2 or 1,200 pounds every 15 minutes is the ladder that I remember using. Okay. Except that in the B and the D, we used, I want to say it was 1.3 is that what I recall using. Makes and sense. And then if you had, it, you know, and especially if you're carrying a lantern pod with that big old bulbous nose in the front, you know, that would add, I want to say you'd, you'd, you'd bump it up. Sometimes you go a little bit higher. And then if there was a, a tarps pod, Back me up. Did you use it? Use a different ladder for tarps. I want to say it was like one six every fifteen minutes. Oh, I don't, I don't remember the familiar. Yeah, I was tarps qualified. I flew tarps flies, but I don't remember that. But uh, I remember. Well, I definitely there was a few things with tarps because you would have to. Uh, I remember the fuel ladder was different and the takeoff trim was different because yeah. the center of gravity was so far back. Yeah. That uh, normally you took off with. Uh, I think it was three degrees nose up trim, if memory serves. And if you took off on the cat with that. You do a cobra off the cat, but if you, uh, I think you ran it down minus five degrees. Not that I ever did. No, never. Maybe, maybe once I did that. (laughs) You go, uh, you go minus. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But if you trim nose down, like, uh, five degrees nose down, it was like the perfect rotation with a tarp spot on. But, uh, actually funny story there about uh takeoff trim. We'll tell another one later, but, uh, it's unrelated to the Tomcat. (laughs) Okay. Well, one thing I was going to say was that in in this this latest book that I wrote, uh, lying about your fuel state was one of the recurring themes. Oh, geez. <laughs> well, I, nobody has ever lied about their fuel state <laughs> for uh, for several reasons. Uh, there were a couple of flights in my career where I had to lie, and, and what you got to do is the guys down in Catsy Carrier Air Traffic Control Center, they deal with all the airplanes all day, every day, they know what fuel states are. They also know what bingo fuel is, what tank fuel and all that. And so you've got to, if you're lying, you've got to make it realistic. So you got to do quick, you know, quick mental math. And you can't suddenly say, oh, you know, I just reported uh, 7,000 pounds. And then the next time you report, you know, 6,800 pounds, 15 minutes later, they'll go, wait a minute. You know, anyway. That's all right. Well, well, tell me, why would anybody ever lie about their gas? Okay, I'll tell you two short. I don't want to ruin the stories, but I'll tell you uh, two oh, okay. short. Well, if it's in the book, we don't want to story it. We well, one was it. we spent too much time at Burner. Mm-hmm. And, 
And two was uh, another story was uh, the weather moved in and we didn't want to divert because my pilot and I both only had 20 bucks in our pockets. <laughs> okay, let's move on to a new topic. But those right. stories are told in detail in uh, in Tomcat Rio. All right. This is this is a little one, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, ask you a big question that comes up. Uh, somebody mentioned the Fuzzbuster. Oh yeah. And this is right. a part of and Crunch. You, well, you were the surface to air threat guy at Top Gun. I was. Did you ever hear about the Fuzzbuster? I I had heard about it. Uh, I had never actually dealt with it. I know that the A6 guys used it and that some of the early Tomcat guys have used it, but I never personally experienced it myself. Okay. On my first uh, deployment, 1981-82, we were doing uh, ops. At that time, Iran was the threat that was the nearest tactical threat. Uh, At least that's where we were projecting presence. And they had uh, uh, Hawk and Hawk missiles and maybe IHawks. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, a friendly system. And so the ALR 45 and 50 in the Tomcat was not designed to display signals from the Hawk radar. Yeah. Some intelligent person realized that uh, the commercially available Fuzzbuster brand radar detector that you use in your car would display Hawk signals. And so the Navy bought a few dozen or a few hundred, I don't know how many, they put in small brackets up on the uh, on the pilot's windscreen. And every time before we would man up, when we check out of the, uh, leave the ready room, uh, Fuzzbusters was one of our man up checklist items. And so the pilots would get two Fuzzbusters, they'd carry them up, they'd put them in those brackets, they'd plug them in because there was power adapter. And we'd fly around uh, with fuzzbusters in the airplanes. And, you know, the theory, we, we rarely saw any indications because we stayed, you know, 50, 100 miles off the coast or more. But the theory was if we ever got into uh, uh, contingency ops, we'd use those and we'd know if we were targeted by uh, mm-hmm. Hawk missiles. So that's the story on the fuzzbuster in the Tomcat. Yep. And yeah, that's other awesome. aircraft used them also. Mm-hmm. Okay, here comes a big one. Uh, asymmetric weapons loads. Ah. I've, I've talked to some people uh, who are who are either modelers who are or who are working on these uh, flight simulators, and uh, one of the problems is that a lot of the uh, high, you know, the most popular pictures and the uh, the best pictures, you got two Phoenix, two Sparrows, and two Sidewinders, something like that. So it's a symmetrical load, hmm. and so some people get and those are popular pictures. But some people get the idea that you have to have a symmetrical load for drag index and weight and other things. But in my experience, we often carried only one Phoenix. And then we'd carry a sparrow usually on the opposite side. So one Phoenix in the belly, a sparrow on the opposite side of the wing, sometimes a sparrow in the tail, and then two or three sidewinders. Anyway, we had asymmetric loads. I don't recall it being an issue. Pilots never talked about it. They never complained about it. So crunch, you flew with plenty of asymmetric loads. Do you have mm-hmm. any memories of what it took in the front seat? Well, uh, no, I mean, once you, uh, once you take off, I mean, your, your, your aircraft is trimmed. And if there's any excess drag on one side, you'll, you'll trim that out with rudder. And if you had like a heavy wing, there's going to be some, some lateral stick trim. Right. And so you would absolutely just balance that out. And aerodynamically, well, it, if you it had, was, so it was just like routine. Yeah, I never, I never noticed it 
when there was something asymmetric. And if you think about it, for a second, let's pretend that we do have a symmetric loadout and then we shoot a missile, boom, we'd immediately be asymmetric afterwards, right? So that must Good be point. okay. And the plane now, didn't the, fall out of the sky. And your plane does not fall out of the sky after you shoot a missile or you drop a bomb. Now that said, there are uh, there are certain loadouts that are, we'll call it legal. And there are certain loadouts that are illegal uh, based on, you know, uh, basically separation tests. You know, so when the guys in whether it's developmental test or operational test or out there designing this airplane, they're going to load it up with missiles and they're going to test fire them. They're going to test drop them. And they got to make sure that as the missile comes off, it doesn't like tumble because of the airflow or whack into another missile or something. So there were certainly certain loadouts that were allowed and certain that were not. And there were probably some that threw it out of, you know, Right, center of gravity. Right. And I do so remember talking about that. There were some that were outside of limits. You know, yeah. like you, you don't want to put a phoenix on the right side of the belly and a phoenix on the right rail and nothing on the left. Yeah. Some, you know, I mean. Yeah, that's right. And there were certainly things that, uh, and, the, and the funny thing is, uh, there was also a certain order that the weapons would fire or drop the bombs. They were all, it was all in a certain order as programmed by the, uh, the AUG-15, right? Because it was designed to go in a certain order based on what the loadout was so that it didn't bang into the airplane or cause a problem. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Absolutely. So now you know about asymmetric loads. Oh, you got any, one more? Yeah, let's do it. This is, this is also a pilot question. Now, now a couple of our guests and, uh, and our audience doesn't know this because, uh, because these episodes are still coming up, but a couple of our guests have talked about, the Tomcat to Super Hornet transition. We've heard it from oh, yeah. a pilot. We've heard it from a, a Rio. But now uh, let's talk to Crunch. Go with yeah. uh, Tom. Well, you could you flew Legacy Hornets and Super Hornets. Yeah, matter of fact, I have flown all series, meaning A, B, and D of the Tomcat, and all series of the Hornet A through F. I have not wow. uh, to include the E and F Super Hornet. I have not flown the Growler. Right. That's the one I've never tried. But uh, uh, so just give so us a F few bullets. Just give us a few bullets on. Yeah. So F 14A, B, and D, of all. And then when I was at Top Gun, I was flying the F 18A and B. You know, B is just a 2C version of the A, and the F 18C and D occasionally. Um, and then the uh, F 18 E and F when we transitioned at VFA 213 later in the years. So, how'd you um, like that? Yeah. No, I was just going to say it's a completely different airplane in the sense that it just feels different. I mean, you fly a Tomcat and you feel like you're driving a truck. It's a it is a it's a Harley Davidson and an 18 wheeler strapped onto a Corvette. And it just feels amazing. Whereas uh, an old, uh, you know, legacy Hornet, it feels like a go kart wrapped up with a Porsche and the Super Hornet feels like, I don't know. Uh, a pretty fancy car that goes really fast. I, don't, I can't think of anything. Maybe a Ferrari or something. I don't know, but it, it doesn't go as fast. <laughs> it, it seems to go a little bit slower. But I tell you what, the Super Hornet is a deadly stinking machine, especially when you got, um, you know, the AESA radar, a actively active electronically scanned array antenna on the radar of the Super Hornets. I mean, that thing, it's like an airborne tax range. It's just a killing machine. It's absolutely amazing. And the old Legacy Hornet, you know, I did, I was doing a lot of bandit simulation in the air-to-air -air world. I would do a lot of 1v1 in the air-to-air -air world. Um, basically, I lived in the air-to-air -air master mode when I was flying the F-18A and B for the most part. Every once in a while, I would actually 
accidentally hit the air to ground master mode and be like, oh no, I'm in air to ground. I don't know what to do. Back to air. Oh, I'm better. I'm back to air to air. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but uh, I did not. I, I did not know a lot about air to ground when it came to the F-18. That said, it's a it's a really good. I mean, I did some bombing with the F-18. It was pretty cool. Um, I, I'm exaggerating, but it was a lot of fun. The F-14, though, obviously, when you have as much experience as we do in that airplane, we are very, very comfortable in it. Then you get into something else like the uh, the Legacy Hornet. I got about 300 hours in it. I'm not nearly as comfortable, not nearly as proficient. I may know the things, but I'm not necessarily as good at it. Uh, and therefore, you know, I'm obviously a little bit, you know, jaded, if you will, towards, hey, this is what I'm good with, so or comfortable with, so I'm, I'm good with it. But at the same time, here's a good example for you of what the differences are. So uh, I'm at Top Gun. I go through the class in an F-14A, right? So as an F-14A pilot, uh, actually, I take that back. I was flying Bs in the fleet. I go to Top Gun, and because I've got A time, <laughs> they're like- flying F-14Bs in the fleet. I was flying A's and then Bs in the fleet at VF-32. We made a transition. And then I go to Top Gun, and because I've got A time, you know, if- if the B that I was supposed to be in ever had some issues or one of them, it would go to the other fighters <laughs> and I'd go jump in the spare A. So I did the majority of my class in the A <laughs> instead of the B, right? So I did the majority of the class in the A. And we'd go flying flying around in the A. And uh, uh, I, I, I went through the class, which is like, what, 12 weeks long, something like that. And I get done with it and I'm, I'm feeling super comfortable and confident. Boom. I take off. Uh, I go uh, I go down. Uh, I actually go get married, go on a honeymoon. And then I go down to Lemoore and uh, get qualified in the F-18, right? So I go down there, go down, do the ground school, go through the simulators, get my 12 hours or whatever it is to get an ATOPS check. I'm like, great. I go back to Fallon and I have to get up to like 25 hours in the Hornet before they'll let me fight it. So it's like every day I'm flying the Hornet, flying the Hornet until I get to the 25 hours. And they're like, okay, great. And now, hey, go back to the Tomcat. I'm like, okay, great. Boom. So I get out there and my first flight back in the Tomcat in a while, uh, you know, several months and I go out, we take off. I'm, I'm dash two taking off down the runway. I rotate and my lead does his turn. And I go to cut to the inside to, to join the rendezvous. I put the stick over and nothing happens. I'm like, Oh my God, hydraulic failure. Oh, Oh, no, there we go. Ah, I'm good. <laughs> Cause I gotten so used to the performance of the Hornet where you put it in, it snaps and goes that I'd forgotten in the Tomcat. You gotta kind of, you got to put some shoulder into that to really get that thing moving. And I'm like, hydraulic. Oh, well, there it goes. I'm good. I just, I just forgot. Uh, never mind. <laughs> and off I went. So that's the difference between the F-14 and the F-18 is, uh, it, you know, the, the, the F-18 is incredibly easy on the, the stick loads compared to the F-14, which is a lot heavier, if that makes sense. Fly by wire. Yep, that's right. Um, <laughs> you're not the first person to, uh, to, to compare a, a Tomcat to a truck, but but I do like, you know, the truck on the Harley, Corvette, whatever. Yeah. Trump, yeah. The real that's about how it feels. It goes really fast in a straight line. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Just like a Corvette. Man, that was a, uh, that was a great summary. I, I, you know, and it, it kind of summarizes what, uh, what our guests have said also. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could also talk about combat effectiveness, but that's a whole nother discussion altogether. Yeah. And that also comes out in some of these episodes. It sure does. That's so right. So you know what? I think we're at a good stopping point, buddy. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, that's that's absolutely right. That's a good one. Hey, and so in for future, if we want, we've got a couple of stories we can tell. We talked about you're talking about shooting off the cat. I got a story about my first cat shot in an A4. Oh, my first carrier qual in the A4. Oh my god, that that is a 20 minute story of stupidity that is awesome. It is so much fun to tell that story. I'm writing that down. Yeah. I used to tell that one when I was a training command CEO and everybody was like, oh, wow, the skipper did some really stupid stuff. And I'd be like, all right, so don't be as stupid as I was when you go out there today. You with me? They're like, yes, sir. All right, let's go. <laughs> Swear to God. If that's not a teaser, I don't know what is. I guess we, got another, <laughs> I guess we have another uh, bonus episode coming up. All right. Sounds good. I like it. Hey, to the audience. Thanks for uh, following the F-14 TomCast. Hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. Stay tuned. we got a lot of uh, great episodes coming up. Here, let's talk about some of the episodes that we have coming up. Crunch, what's on the top of your head? And while you're saying that, I'm opening my list. Oh, all right. Great. So uh, coming up, we've got uh, the Ortiz. Yep. Uh, as we are recording this today, uh, the Ortiz are coming up. We've got F-14D uh, with Jungle coming up. We've got tarps and digital tarps coming up. Uh, we've got F-14D combat systems uh, coming up, or weapon oh, systems. Can't yep. remember what we called it. Combat systems. Then after combat that, we've got uh, a pilot in a Rio from Desert Storm. We awesome. got a pilot in a Rio from uh, who did an F-14 barricade. Mm. We've got a lantern episode coming up, all about lantern. And we're working on, uh, we're going to have more uh, maintenance technicians who made the F-14 work. So we're working on all those details. Stay tuned to the F-14 TomCast. There's a lot more ahead. You've been listening to the F-14 TomCast, part of the Air Combat Experience, brought to you by BVR Productions. Got a question for the show? Send an email to questions at F-14TomCast.com or leave a message on our listener line at 877-MACH-101, extension 3. That's 877-622-4101, extension 3. For updates on this podcast and our other military aviation-themed shows, visit BVRPro.com and follow the Air Combat Experience on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.